Hey guys, welcome back to R Gems on Scanline Vibes. Today, I'm actually gonna take a back seat. I've got Taylor in the studio, and he's gonna be rambling about two of his favorite Fire Emblem games, Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn. And full disclosure, I've not exactly played a lot of these games, so I'm gonna leave it up to Taylor to be the master. We dive into the combat system, some of the characters behind the game and how they progress and grow over the series. And of course, we dive into some of that amazing, amazing music. So make sure you've got some headphones handy. You're gonna need them. This is Fire Emblem, Path of Radiance, and Radiant Dawn. Here on Scanline Vibes. Mr. Taylor, welcome back to Our Gems on Scanline Vibes. How are you doing today? Doing all right. I'm happy to be here and maybe just a little nervous this time. And why is that? Uh, that would be because this will be the first Scanline Vibes and first Our Gems episode that uh, is about one of my games and not one of yours. Well, this is a this is a no pressure, no anxiety zone. So I demand, I demand that you calm down right now. <sighs> all right, command obeyed. Great. So we're talking about what was your favorite game? Quest sixty four? Is that? <laughs> uh, no. We did Quest 64 already. This time, we are talking about uh, technically two entries, but they, they go very closely together from one of my favorite series of all time, the Fire Emblem series. Specifically, we'll be talking about Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn. Nice, nice. Uh, I, I've got to be honest with you, and I've got to be honest with the listeners. I have clearly not played very much Fire Emblem. Um, I've played, I hope you just say, half an hour of Path of Radiance, the first half an hour opening. I'd say you got about maybe 45 minutes into it. Yeah, so I've got very, very light, very surface-level understandings of the game mechanics and, and the characters and what's going on. So my opinion should be taken with a grain of salt. <laughs> Absolutely, but that's okay because I have hours and hours and hours of experience to balance you out. Excellent. Well, I guess where's a great place to start? Do you want to start with Path of Radiance? Yeah, we'll talk uh, a little bit about both. We'll start with Path of Radiance. Uh, where I actually wanted to start, though, since you, uh, prior to the little bit of preparation you did for this episode, you'd pretty much never played a Fire Emblem game. Is that right? Never. L- literally never. I've played more I have played more Marth in Super Smash Bros. Melee <laughs> than I have ever played a Fire Emblem game. Interesting. So with that, I was just curious what your... What was your impression of Fire Emblem from an outsider's perspective before you even played it and touched it? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, man, that's also a really tough question. I honestly, this is going to be really cruel of me, so mm. don't take this personally. It's okay. I really didn't give it a lot of thought. Uh, I really didn't think about Fire Emblem as a series a lot because, quite frankly, a lot of those games were kind of invisible in Western releases. Yes. They didn't really get a lot of exposure here, so... At a time when I was growing up, I mean, I saw a lot of, you know, hype around Final Fantasy games, a lot of hype around evolving first-person shooters like the Halo franchise and things like that. I never really got exposed to Fire Emblem a lot, and it was off my radar for a very, very long time. That's actually not surprising at all to me. Um, that's a pretty common story, and it's why I feel like uh, this game and really this series belongs in the Our Gems section of, of Scanline Vibes. Because it was a, a series that didn't really have much momentum or, or hype in the West. I mean, the very first Fire Emblem game to be released in the West was, I think, the seventh Fire Emblem game in the series, technically. And it was actually interesting because these two games, Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, in combination with the introduction of Fire Emblem characters in Super Smash Bros., is what first started building what little momentum and popularity it has in the West. Gotcha. So were they, were they the first games released here in the West, or were there... 
other games? No, there were two games prior um, released in the West. One that was, I can't remember the Japanese name, but in, in the US they just called it Fire Emblem. They didn't give it a subtitle. And then they also released Fire Emblem The Sacred Stones. Both of those came out for the Game Boy Advance. Gotcha. And have you played those? I have. Uh, they're they're a lot of fun. I enjoy them a lot. They were the first Fire Emblem games I ever played, as with most Westerners. So how did you get into Fire Emblem? I mean, how did you get exposed to it at a time when a lot of kids weren't getting shown these games? You know, to be perfectly honest, I'm not 100% sure. I think it, it might have been... The only two things I can think it would have been was either uh, just a gift from some relative who knew I like video games and just got me something for a console I had... Or it might have been something I just saw on a shelf and thought the art looked cool and decided to try it out. Gotcha. Yeah, it might have been Nintendo Power or something. I'm sure they would have featured the heck out of these games. That's true. I did have a Nintendo Power subscription when I was a kid, so that wouldn't surprise me at all if that was how to. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into, I guess, what is it? Path? Is it Path of Radiance? Path of Radiance. Yeah, that's the first one. Um, the first question I would have for you on Path of Radiance, since that was the one game you played, is what did you think of it? Hmm, that's a difficult question to answer because I feel like I have such a limited amount of context to really judge the whole game on. Mm. Uh, and and this is this is going to be awful because I'm, I'm comparing it to one of my favorite tactical RPGs, Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm. You know, it's just natural for me in my mind to kind of compare the two. Uh, I, I think the first thing that strikes me about Path of Radiance is, first, I got to say the graphics are gorgeous. I think mm. the actual cutscenes they did in the game are really animated quite well. Um, I know you made a comment about some poor voice acting, but I didn't see, I didn't hear a lot of that. It all seemed pretty above board to me. It seemed all pretty okay. Um, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't thrown out of it by any of the voice acting. Hmm. The colors of the game are very bright, and I noticed immediately that the game was very upbeat and bright, and uh, the characters were all very colorful, and that kind of throws me because in tactics. You're dealing with this gritty, dark world where people are getting kidnapped and murdered and, you know, there's uprisings and rebellions going on. And ostensibly, Fire Emblem is in the same situation. There's mercenaries running around, protecting villages, you know, saving kids that are getting kidnapped, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt like the world was way too bright and way too colorful for uh, for the, I guess, the the actual subject matter at hand. Uh, but I mean, that's just my initial impressions. I'm yeah. sure I'm sure it would have grown on me, but I mean, like the one of the first main badasses you meet is this really, really red-haired lady. I mean, her hair is impossibly red. Yeah, Titania. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a guy in tactics called Thunder God Sid, right? And he doesn't have <laughs> lightning. He's not Thor. He doesn't have lightning bolts coming out of his hair. He just looks like a, an older, normal dude. But... I, that's what struck me about, I guess, the world of Fire Emblem is, is that, okay, well, you've got blue hair, you've got green hair, you've got flowing red-pink hair. I mean, it's like, mm. very immediately out the gate, it's like, we're in full anime mode over here, and it feels very anime right off the bat. It's interesting, and I, I can't disagree with it, really. Um, Fire Emblem definitely does lean a little bit more heavily into the the anime than, than Tactics does. Um and some of those impressions, I can definitely see where you'd get them. Um, I will say that it does it does change. It does build. It's not that sort of very happy-go-lucky, carefree, ha-ha, everything's happy and, and wonderful tone. Uh, it actually takes a turn relatively early on in the game. Uh, it's a couple hours of gameplay in, I would say. But, I mean, ultimately, it grows from what that beginning you saw was just this kind of carefree mercenary group there's you know problems with bandits and pirates and things like that but nothing crazy 
into full-blown, full-scale, continent-dividing war, and there's um, huge racist undertones. There's a, there's a race of, of beings, aside from humans in this world, that you hadn't gotten a chance to meet yet, called the Lagoos. Mm. The Lagoos are basically uh, shapeshifters, and that they have um, in their, their default sort of walking around forms. They look mostly like humans, but have some animal characteristics, whether it be uh, a cat's tail or ears or uh, or wings if it's the bird tribe things like that but they can transform into fully fledged animal versions of whatever tribe they are and they live in their own countries they have their own kingdoms and and governance and politics um but there's a a lot of tension between humans and lagoos um if i if i can ask you is this yeah. game rated teen that's a good question i don't know does um, the game show blood it does show blood. Does it show violence time. towards women or children? Physical violence towards women or children? I mean, you fight enemy women combatants, and you saw Mist and Rolf, the little children you were just rescuing in that last mission you played. Yeah. They eventually become units that you control and you do things with. I mean, I guess I ask because in Final Fantasy Tactics, the opening scene of the game is Delita knocking out Princess Ovelia, and very quickly thereafter... You know, in your way to daughter, you see uh, you see somebody get stabbed, and you see blood come out of his mouth, and it's it's a, it's established as a very adult game very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Is Fire Emblem an M rated game or a teen rated game? My impression is this game wants to have its cake and eat it too. I think mm-hmm. it, I think it, it's a very colorful, happy look at how anime we are. But I got the impression they were skirting around violence. I mean, it was like the the, the second or third mission you deal with the kidnapping mission mm-hmm. where the kids get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, they really got through that with the mercenary being like, I'll kill the kids. And then it was like everything was okay pretty quickly. And I Mm -hmm. thought, you don't see the arrow go into the guy's head. You don't see blood anywhere. I just thought, is is that that the situation? Is that what's, is this a tactical game marketed at kids and, and a little bit older kids? Or what's, what's going on here? I would say on the whole, yes. Um, it is definitely not as visually graphic as tactics by any means. There's no like, like, like strong gut punches to women. There's no blood spurting out of people's mouths. But I mean, it does get rather dark at some points. There's lots of talks of of slavery and torture. There's uh, this dude who takes one of the rare bird tribes as a slave and is using it like it's not explicitly stated, but it's very heavily implied that it's being used as like a sex slave. Like it's jeez, Yeah, it does get dark at times, but it's not as visually graphic as tactics. I will say that much for sure. Hmm. Yeah, it it definitely uh, seems like an interesting game and it definitely seems very, very colorful. My initial impressions were, man, this is a really fun, fast, engaging battle system. Hmm. And uh, it's so anime. God, this is so anime. Yeah, absolutely. The battle system is actually one of the things I really, really like about um, about Fire Emblem. Um, it definitely has this very high-level tactical chess master feel to it, especially when you get into the later missions and you're dealing with more and more characters that you have to, to keep track of, different types of characters. I mean, pretty much everyone you'd controlled up to that point was just get-in-your-face melee character. The only diversity you had was people who were on horseback and people who weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually you get access to archers, you get access to mages, you get access to healers, you get access to flying units. Um, do, do each of those units do exactly one role? How do you mean? I mean, you just finished tactics oh, and every, every character in tactics can be a god, essentially. Every, char- every character can engage in all sorts of different abilities and sub abilities and support abilities and reactionary abilities. Is every character just a chess piece in Fire Emblem? Can they only function as one role? 
Not exactly. Um, I will say it's definitely not as diverse and customizable uh, as Tactics by any means. Some of the later Fire Emblem games after these two add some customizability. You can change people from one class to another, um, but it, it isn't as customizable uh, as Tactics. But definitely people, as you grow them and level them up, they do start playing other roles. People can, uh, you know, when they move into their Tier 2 class, in addition to being a spellcaster, they can also be a healer or they can be a, a rogue and an archer. Um, they, they can have multiple roles, but it, it, it definitely isn't as widespread as Tactics. Yeah, I guess the analogy I would make is that in Tactics, every character is a queen because they have the ability to do anything almost on any given turn if their abilities are equipped to support it. And in Fire Emblem, it feels like every character is essentially a rook, whereas they do one thing, and it looks like they do that one thing really well, but it pretty, pretty reliably you can predict what your opponents are going to do because they don't have that many options available to them. Something like that. I guess to continue your analogy, I'd say as Fire Emblem starts, pretty much every character is a rook. But as the game goes on and you get access to more units and people start leveling up and class changing, that people can become, you know, rook bishops or knight rooks or or pawn queens or, you know, you can you can kind of mix and match a little bit and they can they can become a little bit more more diverse the other thing is you get access to a lot of characters throughout the course of 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 each fire emblem game like you started with only like three or four Mm. um by the end you have way more than you can possibly use so you start deciding which ones you want to use so the the mix and matching and the customizing of fire emblem is less how do you want these five people to behave and it's more which 10 out of your 50 do you want to pick? It's not quite that bad, but I mean, it's 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 kind of mixing and matching which ones you want to take on each mission. Gotcha. Do you have a, uh, a favorite character in Path of Radiance? It's hard to say. Um, there's definitely a lot of, of, of really good things you can do with a lot of them. I'd say... I actually really like Rolf, um, who you did meet in your intro. He was the he was the little boy who got kidnapped, who was who was kind of crying and, and whining and screaming about being kidnapped and mm-hmm. kind of fainted there. Yeah, he has a really really good and interesting character arc as he goes on. He uh, he gets taught archery by by Shinon, the really kind of haughty, full of himself dude with the ponytail who you saw the archer. Mm-hmm. Um, he secretly teaches Rolf uh, archery, and Rolf gets to be very very good if you use him properly and you level him up and you get you put attention into him he becomes just a beast of an archer um and when he eventually learns his dead eye skill he basically just kills everything in front of you gotcha uh, and it also just his character arc is good too because you know obviously at the beginning he's this crying whining screaming i can't do anything i'm gonna faint at the sight of, of blood kid to by the end he is definitely had to grow up very very fast and he becomes this very very serious character gotcha so who's the most powerful character in path of radiance it depends on who you put attention to and really pretty much anybody can be insanely powerful um i'd say ultimately probably it would be ike um uh well i guess i'm gonna caveat that at the very very end in the very very final mission they give you a choice of one of the three lagoos royal units to use during the final fight and pretty much nobody beats those Laguz Royals because, I mean, they're like the king of their tribe and they're incredibly powerful. Like they just destroy everything. So legitimately, it's any one of those three. Mm. Um, can they can they go to toe? Can they go toe to toe with Thunder God Sid? Can they go toe to toe with Orlando? Be, uh, be honest with me, Taylor. I know you can lie to yourself, but don't lie to me. I mean, man, it would probably be a really close and interesting fight. Like, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know who would win that. That would be really interesting, because I know how powerful Orlando is. I accept that, but 
those Lagoos Royals. Do they are, solo the rest of the game when you get them? Because Orlando can basically solo the rest of the game when you get him. I mean, you only get them for the very final mission. Gotcha, um, gotcha. But, I mean, yeah, they kind of can solo that final mission if you really wanted them to. Mm. It'd be there'd be a challenge to it because there's a lot a lot of enemy units on that final map but see with orlando there wouldn't even be a challenge i mean he could he could slay a jora he could just completely slay the rest of the game when you get him i mean he's he comes with excalibur i mean how do you i mean how do you compete with that claws that are blessed by the goddess i don't know i'm gonna have to see this isn't there some youtube channel that does like fictionary battles between characters someone should should do a fictionary animated battle between orlando and these Lagoos general guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's definitely several YouTube channels out there that do that. That would be really interesting to see. I would, I, for the record, would put all my money on Orlando. I, I don't know of any character that could beat Orlando. He's just, he's crazy powerful. It's true, he is. But yeah, I don't know. It would be a really close fight, that's for sure. Even if Orlando did win, and he, they, they wouldn't make it easy, that's for sure. They'd make it easy. Yeah, okay. So, um, moving on to the next thing. Um, one of the things I really, really like about um, Fire Emblem games in general, and I think Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn do a great job of this, is while the combat is pretty straightforward, I mean, there's kind of diversity in units and things like that, every so often they'll give you a mission that's a, a unique challenge, something that's not just go kill all the enemies or go capture this space. Uh, and some of them can be really really difficult um one in particular that uh when i was replaying the game just to kind of refresh my memory for this episode i think you remember me complaining about it there's a prison break mission pretty early on in path of radiance i want to say it's like chapter eight or nine something right around there um where you have to break the these people out of of prison and you have two ways to go about it the first way is you can just run in guns blazing kill the enemies break up in the cells and get everybody out and that works perfectly fine you can do that but the game presents you with a challenge um, that you can optionally do, and they'll give you a lot of bonus experience if you successfully complete it, where at the start of the mission, there's only like, three or four guards that just sort of have a set circle, circular uh, movement pattern on each of their turns. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is to navigate your way through um, the, the map opening the cells and letting the, the prisoners out without ever being caught. And basically the way you're caught is if one of the guards starts their turn and you're within range of them, like if you're within their movement and attack range, then they see you and you fail and you have to, you have to then turn it into a regular just battle fight. Gotcha. I had never before this playthrough tried to do the full stealth. Like I made a couple of, of minor attempts at it, failed, and then went, eh, forget it. And I just did the kill everything way. This time, I really wanted to actually do the stealth challenge, and it might be one of the hardest things I've ever done in a Fire Emblem game. It is really difficult to plan everything out. To put it into perspective, it took me several hours to do, and in number of turns, at the end of the game in the credits, it tells you for each map how many turns you took. The second highest number of turns I had on any map in Fire Emblem Path of Radiance was 18 turns back and forth. Mm -hmm. The stealth mission for the prison break was 58 turns. Jeez. Yeah. And that was with me using an emulator to save scum with save slots just over and over and over again. So it, it was a very difficult challenge. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool that it offers those kinds of different experiences because I know that a lot of, I mean, 99% of tactics is just kill all the enemies and win the battle. Yeah. So it's kind of cool there's a little bit of variety there in, in uh, Fire Emblem. Yeah. 
One of my other really favorite ones in terms of those unique challenges is, I think it's actually in Radiant Dawn, but it's a, a mission where you go to this church um, to try and find something out. Like someone says, hey, go to this place. There's information there for you. Mm-hmm. And when you get there, there is like these group of like mercenaries who've been hired to protect it um, from you specifically. And they, at the start of the mission, take all the priests in the church hostage and may use them as a physical wall. Um, but the priests are considered to be enemy units, so you can't move through their space. But they have no weapons or they're not hostile to you. They don't attack you in any way or heal the enemy or anything. Um, but you basically have to navigate your way through the map without killing them. Um, and the main way to do that is to use the the shove uh, ability that I told you about, where you can kind of move a, a character one space away from you gotcha. um, to create openings and gaps in the walls. Um, and it's a really interesting thing. You don't have to not kill the priests, but um, if you manage to successfully complete the mission without killing a single priest, the head priest then rewards you with one of the most powerful staffs in the entire game. It is a staff that fully heals every single unit on the map to full. Wow. Or every single one of your units, obviously, not the enemy units. Is it also limited use? It is limited use like everything is. But you get it pretty close to the end of the game, so there's not too much you need to save it. Gotcha. That's that's something that I'm not a huge fan of, is this idea of, like, you work really hard to get this item, and now you can only use it five times before it's gone forever. And that's just not cool with me. I, I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, that is a thing in Fire Emblem, is just that everything has durability. Um, most things you can get more than one of. Um it's very rare. That one staff I was just talking about, it's called the Ashura staff. Um, it is a unique item that only happens once in each game. Um, but uh, but most of the of the really good staffs you can get more of later. You're not limited to just one and, and it's completely gone. Turning the direction of this conversation a little bit, hmm. uh, if I asked you what makes Fire Emblem, uh, what makes this series a gem to you, what would your answer be? Is it just the really fun gameplay or is it, is it the story or the characters or the music or all of the above or what what is it about this series that really touches you it's a little bit all of the above um i do definitely really enjoy the gameplay i love the the tactical mindset you have to put yourself in to really kind of look at the whole board and see where your units can move where the enemy units can move determining what they might do trying to predict what the ai is going to do um but really if i had to pick one thing that just really makes it magical to me is that the stories. Um, every Fire Emblem game always has just a really good and compelling and, and interesting story um, with with great characters who have good arcs. There's lots of twists. They do a really good job, and this is one of the things I actually wanted to talk about. They do a really good job of kind of teasing little bits of, of information about things that are going to be twists later. They drop little hints here and there that you don't even necessarily know are hints early on. Um, for example, there's... Um, a character who you interact with pretty early on in the game and then throughout both games called the Black Knight is what he's mostly referred to. He's this large hulking knight in in completely black armor with a red cape and he wears a helmet so you can't see his face and you don't know who he is. Um, and he, minor spoiler alert, he kills your father um, pretty mm-hmm. early on in the game. Gawain, who was training you at the beginning of Path of Radiance, mm-hmm. they fight and he kills him. Uh, and Ike sets out to get revenge. But the Black Knight is basically unstoppable and unbeatable he is a he's just a force of nature um but they they drop little hints that when you're on your second or later playthrough and you go back you realize oh my god that is a hint of who the black knight is um for example the character who he actually is you meet later on like you meet his alter identity you have no idea it's the black knight he gives nothing away but at one point you see that character fight and it's very subtle because they don't look at all the same 
but they use the same fighting animations. They have the same, like... Um, stance. Yeah, they have the same stance and everything. It's very similar, and they move almost the same. Uh, and it's just this little subtle way of them saying, hey, he might be more than he seems. Uh, this, is, this all sounds very anime to me. I mean, it definitely is is pretty anime, especially some of the later ones. They definitely lean heavily into the anime, but... Um, just this this idea of this like this black knight who's killed your father who has this alter ego running around you don't know which is presumably going to be a massive twist later in the game and you killed my father i just i don't know just think about like how rams's father is killed in tactics right mm-hmm. and how um how subtle and how even though it is a big twist even though it's it's not done in such a overt and look how anime we are way it's it's very different right i mean these oh, yeah. two games approach this exact same situation from totally different presentation perspectives and i find that really interesting yeah absolutely i mean and i actually love both i love the twists in both games i love the the progression in both games it is two very different ways to approach this same kind of concept but um but they uh, they both are really really compelling to me well, I can see why you love, you know, I can see why you love Fire Emblem because you're a huge anime fanboy, and this is just right. This is right up your alley. I mean, I guess, I guess you are not entirely wrong. Um, the Black Knight actually brings up another thing that's it kind of goes under that unique challenge aspect, sort of. But um, there's a really interesting moment that um, nothing quite like it happens in Tactics, at least to me, which is there's a mission where. Um, you have to escape. You're at this port town, and you have to get to this ship uh, and, and arrive there so that you can can sail away and escape because you're being hunted down by the enemy army. You've basically surrounded an enemy territory, and they're they're hunting you, and you have to get away. Partway through that mission, um, it's revealed that uh, the Black Knight is in that town that you're in that you're trying to get to the to the port and escape. Mm. And he emerges from one of the houses, and it's just like this holy shit moment of, oh my god, he's right there. Mm. And he actually joins the fight, and he is quite literally unbeatable in that fight. You, if you, any single person who goes up to him cannot damage him. And you find out later that there are story reasons for that, that, you know, his armor is blessed and it can't be damaged by, by non-blessed weapons of and course, things like that. Of course, of course. But basically, he is this unstoppable, unbeatable force. And on the easy difficulties, he just stands there and doesn't move. So you just have to stay away from him. Mm. But on the harder difficulties, what they do is he moves on every turn, but he doesn't move his full distance. He just moves like two or three squares, depending on the difficulty setting. Mm -hmm. And he just moves closer to you and closer to you and closer to you every turn. Mm -hmm. And you just have to keep running from him. And there's nothing you can do to stop him. If he gets within range of attacking you, he'll move his full movement and just annihilate you. He can one hit literally every one of your units. So it's this terrifying moment uh, with his, like he has this really oppressive music that I'll I'll have you listen to in a little bit Mm. that um, just is just makes the whole moment absolutely terrifying. It's like, did you see Rogue One, the Star Wars movie? Ooh, which one was that? Was that the one where everybody died at the end of it? Yes. Oh, wow, I just spoiled that whole movie. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, I have seen Rogue One, yeah. It it reminds me a lot of that Darth Vader hallway scene at the end of that. The one where Darth Vader is just this slow-moving but completely unstoppable force in this hallway, just slaughtering everything in his path, and they can't do anything to stop it. It's very much like that moment to me. So why why hold out? Why don't we dive into that music right now? Sure, let's go for it. What's the name of this track? Uh, It's just called The Black Knight. The Black Knight. Let's take a listen. All right. I really like this because unlike most themes in, in Fire Emblem for characters, especially enemy characters, it's much, much slower. 
Like usually, and you'll hear this with some of the other music, it's got a really fast pace and it's high tempo. And this is just this kind of really slow, oppressive, just un- unstoppable rhythm. Hmm. Does this song play during every fight you have with him, or is it only during certain encounters? Uh, this song plays every time that he's basically speaking or, or present. He has a battle theme that's slightly faster than this, but it's basically the same melody. It's just a little bit faster and has uh, has a little bit of extra instrumentation. Gotcha. Man, this is dreadful. This is this is awful, but I love it. Yeah, imagine this was just this unbeatable enemy just slowly moving towards you every turn. Yeah. I feel like they should have played this during the Wegraf fight in Tactics. Honestly, there's a lot of similarities I can pull between the Black Knight and Wegraf. Like, personality-wise, they're not that similar, but they're both this final one-on-one showdown, because that's ultimately towards the end of Path of Radiance. You have this one-on-one fight between Ike and the Black Knight, and it is definitely a, a kill box. If you've not prepared properly for it, you can lose. It is the one and only time in the game where losing doesn't cause a game over. Like, if you lose this fight, it'll move you forward, but basically you lost your chance to defeat the Black Knight. You also miss out on a um, on recruiting one particular unit who basically sacrifices himself to save you if you're going to lose. Hmm. Love it, love it, love it. What a nice track. I love that. I love that song. It's interesting. Yeah. The Fire Emblem series has a lot of really good music, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, but I first just wanted to talk a little bit now about um, Radiant Dawn, the, okay. the sequel. Um, cause I don't want to go too deep into the, the overall story of Path of Radiance. I don't want to spoil things, but, um, but Radiant Dawn is a, is a really interesting progression. Um, I definitely find that in Radiant Dawn, first off, they increase the difficulty. The AI becomes much smarter in Radiant Dawn hmm. than it was. Um, like you start out like the very first mission in Path of Radiance is basically, a, unless you're stupid, it's an unlosable encounter. That first fight against the bandits in Caldea, mm-hmm. it's really hard to lose that unless you just have no idea what you're doing. Um, it's pretty easy to lose that first fight in Radiant Dawn. It's um, you're you take over a, a completely different group of characters. You're not that Grail mercenaries anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, though they come back later, but I'll get to that. You play this different group of people called the Dawn Brigade. And they uh, they fight these bandits at the start, but they are much more difficult, and you have much less access to healing. Um, and so it, it's very easy to lose that first fight, and it continues to get more and more difficult from there. Does the game follow Ike's story as well? or It does. Ike is still the main character of both games, um, but he doesn't come in until later. Basically, the, the first game is just like 20-some-odd chapters, uh, and you know, from 1 to 20-something, to mm. and then it's over. Uh, Radiant Dawn actually splits the game into four acts, um, and each act has a number of chapters. I think the shortest one is Act 2, which only has five chapters. Um, but Ike doesn't actually enter the game. He's talked about, but he doesn't enter the game until Act 3. Oh, geez, wow. Yeah. Which is one of the really, really interesting things about Radiant Dawn that I wanted to, to talk about, which is that um, as you go from act to act, you actually switch from controlling this group of characters to this group of characters to this group of characters. Um, so you have different characters you jump back and forth. By the end of the game, you get everybody back together, of course. Mm. But throughout the game, you're jumping from group to group, and they're not all allies with each other. Um, the Dawn Brigade I mentioned before, who you start the game out as, they actually are fighting for the country of Dayan, 
which was the main enemy of Path of Radiance. So you start out the sequel by controlling what was up to that point your completely unmitigated enemy. Gotcha. Um, and there's an amazing thing that happens in Act 4 um, where not just from act to act, but from chapter to chapter, you go back and forth between controlling the Dawn Brigade and the Dayan army and uh, the Grail mercenaries and the um, the Crimean Begnian army. Um, so basically, you have to go back and forth literally fighting your own party members. Hmm. Like you, you actually do a fight where you fight all the Grail mercenaries and they are exactly as leveled and equipped exactly as you had them equipped. So they're basically really powerful badasses. So they're very difficult to defeat. You know, that'd be interesting if you actually got to control both sides and you could choose who won. That would be cool. That would be a really interesting aspect, actually. Um, unfortunately, that's not how that happens. But That'd also uh, be really frustrating for the player because you wouldn't want to murder like both sides and murder yeah. all your people. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be great. Yeah. Probably didn't do that. It is one of the few times where if you do defeat... Um, your own units while they're on the enemy side they're not dead permanently that's nice um so they don't they don't do that to you um how how mandatory is the sequel to uh to this game is are both do both tell a complete story or can you just play path of radiance and get a complete story path of radiance definitely has a complete story Mm -hmm. um for certain you could just play path of radiance stop there and never play radiant dawn in your life and be satisfied but there are a few unanswered questions that are left hanging at the end of path of radiance um, and Radiant Dawn really kind of helps complete the story, adds context to certain moments, and really wraps up the whole thing in a nice, neat box. Gotcha. Um, one of the other really interesting things about uh, Radiant Dawn that's a very, like, out-of-left-field surprise moment, like, holy holy crap, I can't believe this is happening, is at one point in a mission, there's uh, Micaiah, who's the main leader of the Dawn Brigade. She's out by herself, and she gets ambushed. And right as she's about to to die... The person who shows up to save her is the Black Knight. And then the mission starts and you are controlling the Black Knight. Hmm. It's uh, uh, one of those rare moments where like this person who's just been your enemy this whole time, you are suddenly like, you are in control of him. He is you. It is the second game or the first game? It's the second game. game. So isn't the Black Knight resolved in the first game? Not completely. So you fight him in that one-on-one fight and either way, whichever way it ends, he is presumed dead, but his body is never found. So actually, in anime terms, he's not dead at all. He's actually running around doing more evil things. Basically, yes. Oh, there you go. And he has lots of motivations and other things going on, even beyond just being evil. Like, he has, like, multiple levels to his character that you find out about way at the end. But it, it's it's crazy, and I, I could spend an hour describing the Black Knight's backstory. And I, I won't do that to you or our listeners. Aww. Um, But yeah, it's just one of those crazy moments where suddenly this all-powerful super enemy who you've had to fight and, and try to defeat suddenly is just you and you get to control him and you get to be the just unmitigated powerhouse yeah i love when games do that i love when they turn enemies into allies i love that so much yeah no it's so good it'd basically be like if partway through tactics after you beat Weegriff, suddenly you get to be Weegriff. did you did you ever watch a tv show called heroes i didn't but i'm familiar with it okay well the main villain of the first season is this guy that goes by the handle siler mm-hmm. and Siler eventually becomes a hero. He eventually, well, he becomes more of an anti-hero, but mm. he eventually becomes an anti-hero. And I just remember loving that arc and thinking like, oh, this is so cool. The villain becomes the hero. I love it. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that stuff is in Fire Emblem too. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to mention about Radiant Dawn, which is just another one of those great moments of just building tension, similar to that Black Knight fight in the first game that I was talking about, mm-hmm. 
is one of the final chapters, actually that might be the final chapter of Act 4, right before there's a little end game epilogue section, um, but the final chapter of, of uh, Act 4, there's a fight where it's another fight where you're controlling the Grail mercenaries and their army, and you're fighting against the Dawn Brigade and, and their enemy army, the Dayan army. Mm-hmm. And as you go along, every time a unit dies, whether it be on their side or your side, there's a little number in the corner that's it's just a blue number and it just goes up mm-hmm. there's no explanation in the game for what it is or why it's happening and there's this in the background on top of all the music and the fighting and the combat there's this sort of heartbeat sound that's just very slowly going and as the number gets higher and higher the heartbeat gets faster hmm. and faster and the music gets ominous and ever at a certain number like every five or every ten or so there's a little cutscene that happens that's something happening elsewhere in the world until eventually it keeps growing and growing and growing and the heartbeat is getting faster and faster until it hits a specific number, which is what ends the fight. Mm-hmm. And everything just goes crazy. Um, it's basically explained that... that uh, I'm trying to explain it in ways that don't spoil the game, but mm-hmm. um, there's a, a being that is trapped and one of the ways that it can be released is by... Um, a basically a war that spans the entire continent. Um, and it is revealed that that number is basically the fine, like the, the t- counter of you're finally getting to this point where war is just getting too, too large and too great. And it's about to release hmm. this great being. Jeez. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's less the outcome and more the build up to it because the game doesn't really explain to you. That's what's going on or what's happening. It's just this little number just sitting in the corner and it just goes up by one. Every time someone dies, and the heartbeat gets faster and the music gets more intense. And it's just like, what is going on? What's about to happen? It's just this amazingly tense moment. So are there, I mean, in tactics, obviously, there are a lot of monsters and there are a lot of non-human opponents as well. Is mm-hmm. that the case in Fire Emblem? No. So Fire Emblem, pretty much across the board throughout the entire series, doesn't have monsters. Gotcha. Um, I think some of them might have a few here and there. Like sometimes there's undead. I think a, a Fire Emblem Awakening has, a, has, has undead. Um, but mostly there's not. The closest in these two games you get to monsters are um, those lagoos I told you about who could transform into animals. Some of them, there's a um, this like thing that, the, that one of the villains is doing that basically breaks their minds and turns them feral, and they just basically stay in their animal form permanently and just have this feral mindset. But that's about as close to monsters as you get in these games. Jeez. Yeah, it's actually a pretty dark and twisted moment because lagoos are all fully intelligent, basically human Um you know, human level intelligence, they're just as smart as, as anybody else. But this this evil, you know, basically racist scientist is just breaking their minds to to turn them feral. Hmm. If I if I had to ask you, you're probably gonna hate me for asking you this, but if I had to ask you between these two Fire Emblem games, which one you prefer, uh, which one which one would you rather go back and play? Probably Radiant Dawn. Um they're both really good, but I just like the way Radiant Dawn kind of wraps everything up. Um and there's um, several interesting kind of challenges and, and twists to the story. Um, it's just a really interesting interesting game. Gotcha. Do you think it's necessary to play Path of Radiance before playing Radiant Dawn? I would say so, yeah. You'd probably be really confused. I mean, you don't have to have to, but you'd be much better off if you had. Gotcha. Um, so I think the only thing I have left is just to have you uh, listen to a little bit more music, if that's okay. All right, sure. Let's go ahead and throw some headphones on. All right. So what is the name of this track, Taylor? This track is called The Devoted. It is the main fight song that happens when you get into fights during Radiant Dawn, the second game. And I know how much you love a good fight theme. I do indeed. Here is The Devoted from Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. 
Man, that's an intense track. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. It's a, a very, very just kind of intense loop that happens when you're actually in combat. Gotcha. Wow, that's that is gonna that is gonna definitely go on a D&D playlist. I think that is awesome. Oh yeah, it absolutely belongs on one for sure. Um, this next one uh, is called Abominable Memory. Uh, I really like this track because um, it, it it happens at a moment in Path of Radiance when there's this reveal of something really dark and really twisted that is happening. Basically, there's this one thing that everyone believes that that this group of people assassinated the previous empress, basically, um, and so therefore all the people turned against that group. But this is the moment when it's revealed what actually happened and why it happened, and it's this really dark and just twisted story, and the music perfectly captures the feeling of it. sounds really ominous to me it is very ominous and that is definitely intentional it's basically what's being described here is what really happened on a night that led to the genocide of an entire species basically Jeez. yeah and like the one survivor is describing what really happened and it's very intense and he's very angry hmm. there's parts of it that almost sound scared to me too but gosh yeah that uh is very ominous and very creepy, but one of my favorite tracks in the games. All right, what's next up? Uh, it's the very last one I've got, uh, and I picked this one out just because I know how much you love a, a series main theme. I know you've talked about how much you love that Dragon Quest has just the same recurring main theme throughout everything. This is the main theme for Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. This moment here is the recurring motif that's in every single main theme of every Fire Emblem game. Any Fire Emblem fan would hear this and know exactly what it is. Gotcha. Well, I can't possibly play anymore or we're going to get our butt suit off, so... <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, needless to say, it sounds like it's a great soundtrack. I know from what I played, it was a lot of fun gameplay, hmm. and it seems like a very intense and interesting story. It most definitely is. There's lots of, of ups and downs, lots of twists, lots of turns. Uh, I like these games, and I love this series a lot. Is the ending as down and as sad and frustrating as Tactics? No, not at all. I'd say both games have relatively happy endings. The saddest part of the endings of, of either game is... Um, when they roll the credits, every character gets a little mini epilogue of what they went on and did afterwards. Mm -hmm. But if a character died throughout the game, you basically just get to see when and how they died. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. I don't like that at all. They you know, they died. They don't get an epilogue. They don't get a what happened to them next because nothing happened to them next. Ugh. Yeah. Well, there you go, Taylor. I'm glad you rate this game a solid 6 out of 10. It sounds like you <laughs> love it a lot. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> 6 out of 10. Oh, sorry. What what is your final score for these two games? Honestly, I think I, as a as a collective, I'd have to give them like a nine or a nine point five out of ten. I love these games. Wow. Yeah, these are some of my favorite games out there. Would you change anything about them? <sighs> to be perfectly honest, no. I don't think I would. I might make the the voice acting just a little bit better. It's not 
absolutely terrible, but it was the very first Fire Emblem game to ever have fully animated CG cutscenes and to have actual voice acting. Everything else was text up to this point. Mm-hmm. So they were still kind of getting their, their feet wet. So there there's some rough spots. But uh, so that might be the only thing I would improve is just making the voice acting a little bit better. Gotcha. So needless to say, you're pretty hyped for Three Houses. Oh, yes. I am very, very hyped for Three Houses. Well, I know I'm going to stay tuned to news for it, and I'm sure you're going to stay glued to news. And I'm sure that I'm sure that whenever you find out something, you're going to come blabbing to me. So I will retroactively find out something, too. I mean, that's very true. You can bet on that. There you have it. Um, I think that was all I really had. I did have actually one little small little note here. I didn't have a category to put this in, but it's just a small little touch that I really like that the game does, which is that um, in the, not like cutscenes, like the animated cutscenes, but in the moments where it's just character portraits standing and talking to each other, having a text conversation back and forth, mm-hmm. their portraits that are standing there, they blink. It's a really subtle thing that they didn't have to do, but it just adds just that little bit of kind of lifelike aspect to them that, that they're just sort of blinking just kind of at a normal normal pace it's not like a set pattern I mean, i'm sure it probably is but it doesn't seem that way it seems realistic that they're that they're standing there and blinking i really liked that it's a nice touch it's yeah it's awesome when developers go that extra mile just to add those little small things that help just make the experience feel a little more real or a little bit more um in depth than the other it's, it's easy to put a frozen portrait in there but it's nice that they add those little touches of just blinks yeah. You, no- you noticed the blinks, Taylor, MVP. <laughs> I did. I actually didn't notice them my first time playing through. It wasn't until a later playthrough that I was like, oh, oh wow, they're they're just blinking. They're there, standing there blinking. There is no blinking in tactics. So, I mean, clearly <laughs> these are the better games. I mean, I mean, hey, you said it. Your words, it's on, it's on mic. Yeah, it's on mic. And I'll also, I'll also say that there's no way that Orlando could beat half the characters in this game. I mean, these characters are far too powerful. I mean, they can, they can blink. Orlando can't blink. <laughs> That's true. Although, does that give him an advantage? Because there's there's no moment in time when he's not staring and looking out for danger. He just has to wait for for the Fire Emblem characters to blink, and then he strikes. I'm I'm waiting. One day, someone is going to animate Orlando versus the whole cast of Fire Emblem, and he is just going <laughs> to slaughter that entire cast of characters. Orlando for Super Smash Bros. Oh yeah, or- Orlando would be broken tier. I mean, he <laughs> he would just uh, he'd be broken. He's Excalibur. He has auto haste. I mean, how do you? You, you can't even. I'm guessing that wouldn't translate to uh, to Smash Bros. You'd be surprised. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for letting me do this episode, Clyde. Uh, I really appreciate it. I really got to enjoy talking about one of my absolute favorite games on here. Hopefully the listeners liked hearing the bulk of my voice as opposed to yours this time. We'll see what they say. I'm really, really glad that you took the time to do this. I know these are games you're really passionate about. Mm. So hopefully we've got some listeners out there that have played them. But uh, if we if we don't have anybody out there that's played them, maybe they can go out and play them now. Maybe you've inspired a whole new generation of people to play these games. Well, hopefully they have access to emulators because one of the other reasons I consider these two games to be gems is because it's really hard to get a hold of physical copies of them. They don't make them anymore, and they're pretty rare. If you want to try and get real physical copies, you best be willing to pay well over $100. Yeah, that's a good point. But, I mean, say la vie. That's what happens to the games, games industry. I mean, not everything is digitally downloadable, but... I would absolutely kill for for a HD digital remake of uh, of these two games. It would be amazing. Complete with blinking. <laughs> yes, complete with blinking. All right, well, thanks so much, Taylor, for joining me. Um, as always, guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the comments. Thanks for enjoying and being a part of the process. Until next time, keep on sharing the games you love with the people you like. See you guys next time on Scan Line Vibes. See you later, everybody. <laughs>